Hello, and welcome to MTC Audio Lab, brought to you by Melbourne Theatre Company. MTC Audio Lab is theatre for your ears, bringing great dramatic texts to life with some of your favourite stage actors. Melbourne Theatre Company acknowledges the Yalakut Willem peoples of the Bunwarung, the first peoples of country on which these recordings took place. We pay our respects to all of Melbourne's first peoples, to their ancestors and elders, and to our shared future. In this first series, you'll hear great Australian speeches performed by some great Australian actors. Directed by MTC Associate Director Petra Khalif, these recordings give voice and recognition to important speeches and texts from our history. You'll hear an introduction to the speeches by Petra at the beginning of the episode. Vida Goldstein was an Australian suffragette and social reformer. She was one of four female candidates at the 1903 federal election, the first at which women were eligible to stand. We have reimagined her open letter to the members of the Commonwealth Parliament into a speech, published October 5, 1916, and is read by Mark Downey. <coughs> Sirs, on behalf of the Australian Women's Peace Army and the Democratic Forces of the Commonwealth, I desire to place before you the method by which we, whose work brings us into close touch with all classes of the community, have seen the chains of militarism being fastened more and more firmly on the women and the workers who are the chief sufferers from war and militarism. I feel impelled to make an appeal to you because I know the depth of feeling that is being aroused by the attempt to conscript the lives of Australian men and by the gradual but steady loss of the great bulwarks of liberty, a free conscience, free press, free speech. Unless the rank and file of Parliament assert their control over the government and insist on the military authorities being deprived of their present powers over civilians, uprisings in Australia cannot be avoided. First, let me assure you, who have only the daily papers to go by, that we, who have always opposed and will always oppose war as being contrary to the commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, we are not pro-Germans, nor do we attempt to prevent men from voluntarily enlisting as soldiers. We believe that the existing commercial and industrial system the antiquated ideas governing secret diplomacy and foreign affairs, the predatory instincts of financiers, armament firms, newspapers, the militarism of Germany, the navalism of Great Britain, and the consequent fears of other nations produced a situation which foreign officers were incapable of meeting and war became inevitable. We believe that every man over the age of 21 has a right to decide for himself whether he shall become a soldier or not. Never at any time have we done anything to prejudice recruiting. It is the first step 
that counts. The first attempt of the military authorities to deprive citizens of their rights was made in Melbourne, and it was made on women. I, as editor of the Australian Woman Voter, a weekly newspaper run by the Women's Political Association, was visited by a military officer and told that we must not publish certain matters dealing with war. I denied the right of military authorities to censor such matter and informed them that I would appeal to the government for a decision. At an interview with Senator Pierce, I placed the facts about the concerns of the office of the woman voter and he ridiculed the action of the military authorities, describing it as hysterical. And he assured us unequivocally that it was not the intention of the Labour government to interfere with peace propaganda. From September 1914 to March 1916, the woman voter and other pacifist papers were protected from military authorities by Senator Pierce's pledge, which was given before he was captured unconsciously, I believe, by the military machine. That members may fully understand the present position, I must now recall to their minds the pledges given by the Prime Minister and the Attorney General when the War Precautions Acts were introduced, when a definite pledge was made that no general powers would be given the military authorities under the bills, that they were to protect the Commonwealth against treachery, etc. I ask you, gentlemen, to hold the Prime Minister to his pledges, the pledges that were the means, surely the honest means, by which he secured the assent of Parliament to the drastic powers contained in the War Precautions Acts. While Parliament was in recess, the military authorities took to themselves, by regulations, more and more of the general powers which Mr. Hughes said it was not intended to give them. And the position now is that we are not governed by laws made by Parliament, but by regulations made by military men who are not responsible to the people, who have no sympathy with and no understanding of the aims and ideals of democracy. In October 1915, military control of the public platform commenced. In March 1916, Complete military control of the press, tried first with the woman voter, was gradually applied to all Labour papers. The great daily papers, the organs of vested interests, are censored only in regard to naval and military news. They are given unlimited powers in the expression of opinion, in preaching militarism, but the woman voter the Federal Independent Socialist and Labour Papers, all of which are irreconcilably opposed to militarism, are censored at every vital point touching on anti-militarism in its broad educational and ethical aspects. The Daily Papers are permitted to lie freely about anti-militarists. In May 1916, an interstate deputation representing 
the Australian Peace Alliance waited on Senator Pearce to protest against the censorship of platform and press. The minister has, undoubtedly, much to try his patience in these strenuous times, but a most regrettable change in his demeanour was noticeable from that with which he greeted the deputation in 1914. Then he was a Democrat, the representative of the people, ever ready to hear what the people had to say, ever ready to defend them against official injustice. On this occasion, he was the Minister of Defence, militarist zealous of preserving the militarist's prerogative to oppress without a thought of preserving the rights of the people which he had helped to wrest from the authorities in days gone by. When asked by Mr. R. S. Ross to appoint to the censorship staff one or two persons acquainted with Labour terminology and ideals, Senator Pierce said, I have no politics in the censorship. But the trouble is, gentlemen, that censorship is all politics and of one brand, conservatism. I hope it will be understood that there is not a particle of malice in my observations of the Prime Minister, nor of the censors. They fight to control a colossal, soulless machine called militarism, and it has instead assumed control over them. Militarists come to believe quite honestly that might is the only right, that conscience and freedom undermine right and must therefore be crushed ruthlessly. The Prime Minister or the Minister of Defence will probably tell you that no action against anti-conscriptionists and anti-militarists is instituted except with their consent. You will then probably say that neither minister would consent to a prosecution unless he truly believed it was justified. I say so too. But you must remember that the reports on which the prosecutions are based are made by newspaper reporters or by members of the Secret Service or by the police, which, torn altogether from their context, convey the very opposite of what the accused person said. You must remember also, gentlemen, that a prosecution with a minister's signature attached means the case is prejudged. The accused is already condemned before the evidence is heard. I say, without fear of successful contradiction, that the prosecutions under the War Precautions Act have not been for the purpose for which the Act was placed on the statute book, but for a wholly foreign purpose, that of crushing non-party labor and socialist reformers in their anti-militarist propaganda. If this freedom is withheld and conscription is forced upon the manhood of the country, there will be serious trouble. And the news will then be sent out to the rest of the world that the great Australian democracy has willingly accepted conscription. A regulation has been issued ordering every leaflet intended for publication, which in any way deals with the war, to be submitted to the censor. 
By the time the censor has finished deleting everything that might be useful as an argument against conscription in the hundreds of leaflets which it is desired to issue, the referendum will have been taken. What is the use of taking a referendum on a question on which full latitude is allowed to those in favor and the most rigid restrictions are placed on those who oppose it? I ask you, sirs, whose duty it is to protect the people against tyranny and oppression, to fight before Parliament goes into recess as you have never fought before for the people and for those whose conscience directs them to oppose conscription, from which it has always been the proud boast of Britishers that they were free. The nation that stifles conscience, even in time of war, proves that it believes that might is the only right. Great Australian Speeches was directed by Petra Khalid, with performances by Sharina Clanton, Mark Cole-Smith, Mark Downey, Greg Stone, Leonie Wyman, and Isabella Yenner. Theme music by Clements Williams. Sound design and engineering by Nick Woolen. Produced by the team at MTC. Enjoyed this episode? Find more Audio Lab episodes or learn how you can support Melbourne's home of theatre at mtc.com.au.